We return to our study to 1 Corinthians. Today we're at the pinnacle of this letter, chapter 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is probably one of the most well-known chapter of the New Testament, uh, should I say even the entire Bible. Non-Christians as well as Christians love this chapter. It is not only poetic, but just beautifully done. Uh, anyone who is for love highly regards this chapter. And Apostle Paul pens it such a with eloquence and beauty and with the strength of his theological convictions as well. But there is a little concern for, for as a pastor like me because oftentimes it will take it would be taken out of the context and use it for our use. The immense enter the world and oftentimes when I get asked to officiate a wedding, I usually tend to ask them, is there a passage that you guys would love to continue to use that passage as your lifetime passage in your becoming one? Many occasions, the young couples looked at me and said, oh, we love 1 Corinthians 13. And I have a, just mixed feelings about that. One is, this is not a romantic chapter. You're going to be have a hard, really a hard time if I really preach on it. Uh, and then at, at the same time, oh, this is good because no matter how you like each other, uh, you, you look at each other like a dying cow right now. <laughs> but there will be a time the storm will come and, and you will feel like, I don't, need, I don't know this person. I cannot get through this person. And that's the time that you need to remember this chapter. Maybe that's the reason why I would agree to use that as a wedding passage. And in a few occasions as I did, same thing for us as well. And even in Christian uh, churches, this chapter is sometimes taken out and quoted in a very different directions. But as we have studied it and throughout the First Corinthians, context is so important in everything. So let's look at context and maybe a little bit of an overview an introduction to this chapter as we begin. The context, as you remember, it is a part of Paul's answer to the Corinthian Christians' question. And their question, one of the glaringly important questions was on spiritual gifts. Um, there are a lot of supernatural things were happening in their gatherings. Speaking in tongue, prophecy, healing, miracles were happening. But on the other side of, of all that, people's motive was self-seeking, comparing with others. So there's so much of chaos and division and jealousy, all that is going on. So Paul is expounding 
And the principles of how to live the Christian life with spiritual gifts. Church life by building up with your spiritual gifts. In three chapters, uh, past uh, two Sundays, uh, we studied on the general principles of spiritual gifts and body life in chapter 12. In chapter 14, he will continue to go to the some practical suggestions and conclusions and commands. But in between, he puts chapter 13. Remember how chapter 12, verse 31 ends? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent ways. Because number one, Gift Number one desired gift and superlative gift was a speaking in tongue among the Corinthian Christians at church. What Paul is saying, corporately, together, earnestly desire the type of gifts that builds others. Of course, the speaking in tongue is a, a God-given gift. But when you think about edifying with one another, In the church, there are many other gifts. Instead of taking, consumed by spectacular spectacular gifts, I want you to pay attention to the desire that edifies everyone more. And having said that, he's going to conclude, continue on then chapter chapter 14, verse 1. But he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The title of the message today is The Most Excellent Way. The phrase that NIV translation uses, The Most Excellent Way is Love. A couple of things. One is, love is not a spiritual gift that he is offering. Love is a principle or way in which everyone should exercise their spiritual gifts, including desiring this higher and beneficial gifts. But be sure to use this principle that goes every direction. Spiritual gift has nothing to do with um, spiritual maturity. But spiritual maturity has a lot to do with the fruit of the Spirit. Basically, if you look at Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit. And actually, this chapter is in a way that Paul comes in a different direction. Do you realize that? That every word that Paul uses is very intentional. Galatians 5.22, he writes, the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit. Of love, joy, and peace, and gentleness, and kindness. What does that mean then? It's actually, the fruit of the Spirit is love. When Holy Spirit controls our lives, love shows up. It becomes love that has Joy, love that has peace, love that has gentleness, 
Love that has self-control. In a similar way, and he's going to expound on what this love is all about. And Paul is not suggesting, some commenters, I think, to, in my opinion, very mistakenly says, Paul is suggesting this as a spiritual gift. No. It is a way, Christian way, and godly way by which we, use, we should exercise all of our spiritual gifts in the way we live Christian life. There are common pitfalls. I kind of alluded to do that a little bit. It is not a poetic sentimentality. It is not an unrealistic ideology. And it is not a list of moralistic self-improvement goals. And it is not a mere concept or theology. So it is important for us to look at the context and draw the meaning out of the text and apply it. In so doing, this is our aim. We're learning about this love, which is in Greek word, there are four words. This is, whole chapter is about agape. Christian love, should we say. Selfless love or God's love. The type of God's love that we need to receive from God to give it to others. So in so doing, our aim this morning is not to learn about love so that when you go back, you could talk really well about love in Christian groups as well as non-Christian groups in society. Our aim is to apply and to become not only encouraged but even convicted to be a more loving person. That's how we ought to approach this. So having struggled quite a bit about this, the whole chapter, my initial plan was speaking on the whole chapter. But we're going to actually uh, focus on three and a half verse, verses today. Verse 1 through 3 and verse 4, the first part. And at least two more, possibly three more. We're going to come back to the passage and take time, dwell on this a little longer. So by each uh, Sunday sermon, we will feel compelled to obey and apply rather than entertain the good thoughts in our, in our heads. But speaking of agape, let me explain a couple of things. And many of you heard these terms, but there is a, some important concept that we need to grapple together. A Greek, Greek word has four different words for love. And one of the famous word, word is eros, from which we got erotic love, eroticism. It is a sexual love. It is a romantic love. But oftentimes one thing, one misconception about this love is all about, it is all about sexual. No, it's actually not. It, it, eros is the type of love is 
caused by attraction of the person or thing that is loved. So a lot of reason for this love is the object of love. So you could say, I love Hagen does ice cream. Because enough, I love Hagen does ice cream. <laughs> or some of you say, I love uh, this type of alternative music, or blues music, or, or jazz music, or whatnot. And some of you would say, I love my babies. Well, they're so lovable. How can you not love? Right? On the other hand, phileo, uh, verb form, and noun is philia, is the brotherly love. It's a companionship love, friendship and affection, and meeting the halfway, that kind of love. And it, it, this is important love also, too. Um, storge is love because of the family bonds, love because of the blood relationship, brothers Sisters and um, mothers and fathers loving, uncles loving, and storge. But agape is the love that originates from the lover rather than the one whom is loved. So if you think about visually, here is... Um, Eros is attractive. It causes that loving act because of attractive, lovable thing or person. And way over here in another side is agape. Agape, God initiates his love. God acts on love, not acted upon. Nothing causes God to become love more. That's what unconditional love looks like. And we are to love with its agape love. So there are few things that we need to understand. One is, it is not really about feelings. When you think about eras, a lot of feelings. The agape love is the kind of love that God commands us to do, even the enemies of our lives. Even Okay, extreme cases are enemies. Even the people who just rubs you wrong way, their personality temperament, or annoying, or just, you know, everything about that person is, oh, right? we're like a night and day. And, and, and like wavelength, it doesn't meet. The command is not to like that person. Command is not to change your feelings about that person. Command is to choose the characteristics of love and imitate, or should we say, reflect God's love. I guarantee this to many of you who struggle with your marriage. If the bottom or basis of your love it starts with agape, your marriage is secure because it doesn't depend on the person's lovable side or changes to become the more lovable. And upon that basis of agape, you could be, build a phileo, companionship. You enjoy each other's company. 
And then there's a cream of the crop, you know, like cherry on the pie on top kind of thing. Sometimes sex works, sometimes does not. Sometimes romantic things click so well and just you're oozing out of romantic love and romantic thoughts. Sometimes it's dry. So we are, but one, one, one thing that I need to mention is agape words, kind of empty words, Greek word, back in the days. And they had 70 scholars. They uh, call it Septuagint. The Hebrew Bible was tra- being translated into Greek 200s before uh, Christ came. And because of the Alexander and you know, the command was gather in Alexandria, uh, city of Alexandria, and they wrote the Septuagint, which is mostly used now, even among the uh, Jewish people. When the scholars and the rabbis are gather, gathering together, and they were thinking about God's love, and they wanted to use a fresh word, and they discovered this word agape. So which means, other than ancient Greek in the Bible, you cannot find this agape word in any other secular literatures. Okay, lastly, overview. The Apostle Paul expounds on simple outline is the three things. Verse 1 through 3 is the supreme importance of love. And verse 4 through 7, the characteristics of love. And verse 8 through 13 is the permanence of love. So what we're going to do today is focus on um, the supreme importance of love and the first part of the characteristics of love, which is verse 4a. There, there are two foundational qualities of love. Paul presents, and he expounds on that. And this is the part that I would love to just dwell on for our application. So first, let's move on to the supreme importance of love. How important is love? Love, number one, love is supremely important because without love, even the most spectacular spiritual gift is nothing. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. He starts with that first one. And when you think about speaking in tongue, once again, it's most desired, popular spiritual gift, which is very spectacular, and everyone desired it. And no wonder why Paul uses this example as the first one, because everybody wants it. On top of that, he is taking that in a superlative form, most Desired highest form of a spiritual 
the spiritual gifts of speaking in tongues, what would that be? The tongues of an angel, languages of an angel. There are several uh, ways to, to understand this. Uh, cessationists will say, uh, because their view on, on tongues, speaking in tongues, is all foreign language, and they're saying that this is an impossible way of, in other words, because of hyperbole, he's making that point. I don't think so. I think it's more of First Corinthians Christians really did think about a lot of this utterance of they couldn't understand. And when that spiritual gatherings are happening, the Holy Spirit uh, gave these gifts to many people. And they're speaking in tongue, and they a lot of them thought is it just sounds glorious, and they sound like angels speaking to each other. It became like that. It's, that was their utterance. Whatever the whatever the point is, uh, he's taking that. Paul is taking that to the most superlative form, and saying. Even that without love is nothing. He does that continuously in, in my uh, sectional things. There are at least four things, right? But remember this principle. It is like this. Anything you, you, think, you could think of as the best thing that you could, you, I wish I could have that strength and gift. And without love is Almost like multiply by zero absence of love is nothing. Trillion dollars times zero is nothing. Right? The same way that Paul is going at it. And he moves on to second thing. Love is supremely important because without love, even the most powerful gift to understand all mysteries and knowledge is nothing. The same thing. If you look at verse 2, he tackles on the second thing, which is also most popular trend, and the knowledge was revered in Greek philosophy as well. And he writes, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have not love, I am nothing. Even in our Christian life, and especially our church, we want to uphold the scripture guidance, the importance of scripture-centered Christian living, and God's word becomes revered, of course, knowledge is important. In our culture that is becoming more and more biblically literate, we need to uphold the importance of knowing what God says. And, and Chang's right. To have right knowledge of God, in using A.W. Tozer's terms, to think rightly about God is immense importance. To think wrongly about God is the essence of idolatry. 
But nonetheless, if we have all the knowledge and spiritual power to discern the mysteries, the hard passages, or even understanding the spiritual things, you know, mysterious things, so well, without love, it is nothing. Do you sense this crescendo, verse, the verse 3, I mean, verse 2 and 3, there is an increasing crescendo here. The ver- number 3 reason the love is supremely important is without love, even the most incredible faith is nothing. And it, Paul would say in his own word, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You know, one of the complaints that the secular irreligious people have is, you Christians are all the talk, but you cannot really live it out. But imagine that we have faith enough that things are happening, the immovable rocks and mountains and obstacles are moved. And one form could be praying for healing and all these impossible things are happening in front of us. By faith. Some people really do have that kind of stronger, bigger faith. It moves not only obstacles, but moves people. You get attention when things like that happen. And we are commanded by our Lord Jesus to have faith. And if we have even little faith in big God, if we command to this mountain to move it over here, it will happen. But even then, Without love, Paul is saying it is nothing. Going back to the context, think about this. People who are just uh, becoming so confident about performing through the Holy Spirit and through the gifts of miracles, things are happening and the confidence goes deeper and deeper. And even this week, and Kate and I were praying for Brian and Hyojung, and increasingly, uh, throughout the prayer, I felt really confident. We will not just pray for the just normal process of healing, that he will just survive and merely hanging on the enduring things, but let's pray for miracles. And I believe we could. God has given us that kind of encouragement. But even then, the human's heart is depraved. In subtlety of that, if I have a wrong motive, and that is not love, if that happens in our church, oh, we will get attention. That happens in our church, more people will come. That happens in our church, everyone is encouraged, and I'll be a good pastor. All that things. And seemingly good, 
thing. But without love, it is nothing. And then we are at the crescendo now. Love is number four. Love is supremely important because without love, even the most generous self-giving and self-sacrifice is nothing and gains nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. There are some people, well-meaning Christians, uh, rich people, instead of giving to their sons and daughters everything, large sum of money are donated to the poor. Wonderful things, right? An organ, non-profit organization or the church. And that could be one form of we could see that. But what if people really follow what Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me? Wonderful thing. Wow. But if that's done without motive of love, you gain nothing after giving yourself completely, unreservedly. And the final stage, if you, even if you give yourself, your body to be burned, without love, it is nothing. What, what do you see? You could see about volunteering for die on somebody else, self-sacrifice. Because, because, because of uh, his teenager, because she is a little girl, I will rather die. But my ulterior motive was there. Uh, my life was gloomy anyway. But if I make this move, I'll make a headline. My legacy will be passed on to my family. Whatever. Or can you see this? In a Roman Colosseum, the people are being burnt because of their faith. They could not deny the name of Jesus. They're faithful and loyal to the end. But even if that martyrdom, without love, you gain nothing. There is a reason for this redundancy. And not only on my part, but I'm talking about Paul, Apostle Paul's part. He is stressing over and over until he gets attention of this supreme importance, indispensability of love. Okay, let's apply. Just dwell a little bit about it in our love. Okay? Even if I volunteer to take somebody's lunch rotation five times this year. If I have no love, I'm nothing. Even if I evangelize and 10, 20 unbelievers come to know Christ, within this month, I'm nothing without love. Even if I raise $20,000 by running half marathon on May 3rd, with team 
World Vision and Team Crossway OC. Without love, I am nothing. Even if I haven't missed a single quiet time past 46 days without love, I'm nothing. Even if I serve faithfully behind the scenes, setting up and and just coming early, practicing worship and teaching and helping children's ministry without love, I am nothing. You get the point? Sisters and brothers, conceptually, it's really not much to understand. But the work of the Holy Spirit is for us to really pay attention to our heart, our motive, what what it means to become more like Christ. And may this to be remembered. May the Holy Spirit brings you to your remembrance as you serve this coming week and the following weeks. Now, let's move on to the two foundational qualities of love. Verse 4, Paul begins with this. Love is patient. The question that I have for you is why do you think Paul mentions patience first of all before he expounds the characteristic, full characteristics of love? If you remember the, the nature of agape, Agape acts in love, not acted upon. Agape is not depend on the person whom he loves or she loves. In other words, in spite of absence of attractiveness, or should we even go say, in spite of natural tensions and annoyances, and even offenses, past offenses also too. Agape, love, Christian love, acts upon loving that person. In so doing, most the foundational thing, and if you really meditate coming, uh, coming week, the other descriptions actually are girded by this point. You're embracing that person. You're accepting that person without demanding for that person to be more lovable. Other passages, First Peter 4.8, Apostle Peter writes, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And I think this, this genuineness of love spills over into friendship also too. 
So was it Swedish uh, Proverbs? A friend is who walks in when, to your life when everybody's walking out. You find out your gross and embar- most embarrassing thing, your brokenness is, your, your sinfulness is revealed, and people are saying, no way I'm not going to be connected to you. And your true friend comes in patient, forbearing. And we have a problem with this, right? But I just can't have good feelings toward that person. It's not about feeling. Feeling will come supplied by God. But it is a choice, isn't it? Colossians 3, 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has complained against one another... Forgiving each other. What does that mean? That you're going to be hurt? And C.S. Lewis said basically, to love is to become vulnerable. If you don't want, to be get, don't want to get hurt, don't even try loving anyone. And reality of life is that we're going to get hurt. But love is patient. I have a confession, confession to make. You know, whenever I think about my relationship with God, this part gets me. In, in, in all honesty, I became uh, intentional and passionate about following Christ and my own transformation. At young age, I, I think I was at 19, 19. And declare that my life is all yours. I will follow you. No matter where, where you call me to go, I'll do it. I'll go and change me. And I have a boxes of journals. And I look back. They're same sins that I confess over and over. And I would like to be free from my pride and subtlety of my, my drivenness. Not only for about myself and others. Strong will. God, I want to become more meek. Change me. I see that sin come up, comes up over and over. And what if, just what if, God says, I've had it with you. No more. Go away. Go away. I say that to my son sometimes. (laughs) I don't want to deal with you. Get out right now. Can I encourage you? We don't have this love in in us. Unless we pay attention to God. Like the moon gets the, the, the light from the sun and reflects. We are to do that. What does it mean to be patient? It, not only forbearing, but tenaciously believing in one whom we love. I'm not saying just go along with everything they do. Your son lies, oh, I'm patient with you, I love you anyway. It's a holy love. But what we do not give up is I believe in you, your potential and your God-given 
God's going to make you a godly man, godly woman someday. I'll never doubt about the personhood that you're saying to me. Your teachers might forget, say forget you. Your friends might say, I no longer want to be friends with you, but I will never, ever give up on you. That's patience. So applying this, when we live our community life this up close, and you have a little conflict and fight with your wife and your husband, men's group, women's group, whole home group, we'll find out unless you start skipping those things intentionally. <laughs> Which means conflict and tensions are not avoidable. It's inevitable. And then there is a natural friction of personality clashes. If you haven't found one, you will. I'll guarantee you. Then all of a sudden, oh, it just feels a little bit. Second part is the foundational qualities. His love is kind. Check this out. There's a two sides of same coin. If patience is one who acts in love, selfless love is embracing and more of an internal passive approach, right? But kindness is an active thing, actually. You do externally. And once again, remember Jesus' word. It's not necessarily you feel so kind and overwhelmingly affectionate toward that person, but you choose to do good things to that person. That's why even when your enemy is thirsty, give him water. When it is, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. It is seeking to do a good thing in love. Feelings may not be there at all. I want to carefully mention this. I know many of you love your children so much. And then you say, oh, yeah, I, I am kind, patient and kind to my kids. Well, actually, we need to be careful about that because sometimes our kids are extension of ourselves. It's actually self-love rather than agape love. You want to... You wanna, you wanna, uh, little proof. <laughs> when our kids are called the racial names, and there isn't a, like a punching the feast kind of thing yet, but in my mind is starting today. I'm going to teach you Taekwondo. That is a black belt. You need to learn to stand up and defend yourself. So, like, you know, it's sounding like a really good, caring father, right? But I cannot stand my boys getting taken advantage by others. It's about reflection of me. If I am really, truly follow, 
Christ follower who loves God with all my heart, I should say, son, there will be a lot of people who will will make an excuse to hurting you. But Jesus forgave you. You need to learn to forgive. It's okay for you to stand up for yourself, but when they hurt you, do not fight back. For me to say that, that's a lot. Like, gosh, it, it's in my life, my junior high years, I achieved the, the status of one of the most toughest kids in my school. <laughs> that was glorious. <laughs> I never lost a fight. But kindness is choice that we make that eventually melts our hearts as well as the person's heart also too. This is what I mean. I think it's really good to see C. Bryant here joining us. But you know, behind the scene, I get to see so many nameless people serving, volunteering, stepping up. To serve the needs of Brian and Hyojung's family. The difference I see in people who are actually involved in it, people are just watching far away from, these people get more inertia and just get frozen, overwhelmed by so many needs beyond us. But these people become freer, they get joyful, they volunteer more, they get affections. And I, I still remember that. You know, Kate uh, became a coordinator for Zoe's visit, visiting Zoe's at the hospital. And I said, uh, it's not even your turn. Why do you keep going back? Because so and so is going first time. I want to be there. It's just heartwarming to see how God is working. And her compassion for Zoe has grown so much. It melts your heart when you act upon kindness. And our vision for church is to be known for our love for one another. It's not conceptual love. It's not theological love. It is love, type of love that we actually feel God's presence among us. And this person has really no reason to be kind this way. But because in the name of Jesus, he or she is caring for me. Going out of their way. To be kind to me. Oh, you and I have that people in our lives. And we're growing up, especially when didn't, we didn't even know what was going on. And we, when we didn't deserve it. People who showed up in our lives with Christ's love. And they were kind to us. I could name few people, even up top of my head, people like my mentors, like Dale Holland, Wade's brother. I met Dale Holland 10 years before Wade. Peter Ree, who was my this spiritual leader during my college years, who taught me the basic format that we're doing at our quiet time is from, from Peter Ree, 1982, 83.
the list goes on and on. I'm going to close with this quote. Um, none other than C.S. Lewis. And he writes about this in uh, Mere Christianity, not necessarily about love, but about God molding us to be perfect, sanctification process. And he takes the, the parable of George MacDonald and writes this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to build that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and, and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and nobly and does not seem to make, make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The ex explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing there, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making up courtyards. You thought you were being made, to, made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So if there is some pain in your life because of relationships, you feel the brokenness of God's heavy hand on you, especially through relationships. God is working at you. Rejoice. God is tearing down some parts of your heart so he could build a perfect, godly, Christ-like child of God. Does it hurt? Yes, sometimes. Especially when you are a strong, eccentric person. Especially your pride, the self-pride, is so important to you, which is almost all of us. Will you surrender to him? Will you say, Lord Jesus, I want to become more like you. Break me. Mold me and use me to love those people around us. I must say this before uh, I end this me message, which I forgot to mention. The love is patience. The love is long-suffering. There are other words in Greek in other passages used for patience in circumstances, under difficult circumstances, which I'm relatively good at. But this word, love is patient, is exactly with people, not with circumstances, which I am not good at. I get so impatient with my sons, so impatient with people who are not 
following me or whatever the reason is. I get impatient with my wife at times. Would you think about this things that Holy Spirit placed upon your heart? How will you be patient? How will you be kind? Not just within your family, but within our church and beyond our church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being patient with us. And that it is your kindness that leads us to back to you in repentance. And would you teach us to be patient and kind to one another? Not only just within our cliques, but in the name of Jesus, help us to love those who are around us, including the unlovable. And our prayer is that this coming weeks, that you, as we meditate on this chapter, that you will stir our hearts to action. May Jesus, you be glorified. In so doing, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.